Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space, those who have made a difference in women's health, equality, and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely changed their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also entertain and enlighten. And this week... On the Happy Vagina podcast, after after much seeking out and sliding into her DMs, we have the deliciously talented, politically charged actress, producer, and activist Lena Heedy. Lena, welcome to the Happy Vagina. Hello, thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here. You're you're in New York at the moment. Yes. How is it? It's amazing. We just moved here, so we've been in for about a month, and um, yeah, it feels like home. Just more social and more open, worldly loveliness. You know what I mean? Yeah. LA's got its own thing, but I was, and I have two kids. So I was like, I don't want you to live in a car. Yeah. I've heard it's not great for kids. The very first time that I met your work, Lena, you were in a film for the BBC called Loved Up, which I, so you started your career earlier than me because you didn't go to drama school. You just went for it and you were working for, from quite a young age, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, that's very flattering of you. <laughs> I think it was more like I was not great in school. And so I got an opportunity to audition when I was 17. You know, my parents were like, you're going to have to just go to college or something. And I was like, nah, this is it's going to work out. And then I, I got a job at 17 and just bit down and held on. Mm. And you were born in Bermuda, but your roots are Yorkshire and from a lower middle class or working class background. Did you remember feeling kind of different, even, even on top of not having gone to drama school? I think later I did. When I first started, I was just so green and new to the circus so I remember like my first job I got a pad and a piece of paper and I wrote every single person's phone number down I think they were landlines back then because I was like I'm gonna stay in touch with everyone forever (laughs) and then you know obviously as you it gets less and less and you realize the transient nature of what we do and how you're going to cross paths with everybody here and there and I think it wasn't until later that I started to you know it's that awful thing of when kids are little there's no awareness of you being different or Mm. like hiding any part of you. And then as you grow up, you start kind of, I don't know, the world does that to you, whether that continues or it's a brief moment, I guess, is your nature and all of Mm. that stuff. But yes, as I got older, I definitely, as I start to go for more things, you know, I grew up in the gritty, great, raw, brilliant indie world of Brit film before it died. And it was great because there was no hierarchy and you all just mocked in and got it done. And then, you know, I started going up for 
when things started to change, different projects. And then I started to realize that I was very different to people going up in rooms for stuff. What was the impact on you, do you think? Did that make you think, fuck this, (laughs) I want my seat at the table? Or did it knock that kind of young confidence that you had where you kind of went in blind, just absolutely chuffed to bits to be working? I think it totally knocked my confidence. And I think I didn't know where I stood or what, what I should be doing. I, I think mm. the UK does tend to kind of use groups of people. Like we've got our posh actors, we've got our working class actors, we've got the girls we always go to for this moment. And it's like, we don't often step out of that pool in the UK. And I found that I didn't really sit anywhere. It was really tricky to get the jobs I I wanted so badly because I didn't really fit into any of it. So, you know, I think I spent a lot of time feeling disheartened or like, you know, mm. you're not able to do what you know you're capable of doing or contributing. So I found that really frustrating. Uh, and also, you know, getting knocked back over and over and over. It's, a, it's really, it's a real grind sometimes. <laughs> mm. Mm, it's definitely a, a marathon. Definitely, definitely something that I think that you have to yeah. dig your feet in and be prepared to take more knocks than someone in a normal career. But also the class system in the UK is, I think it is getting better. The bottom line is, is to be not codependent with the industry. You, you can't, and this is one of the things that I love about the work that I see you doing the most is that I don't feel like I'm sure it does impact you, what people say and the things that are going on around you. But there is an element with you, Lena, where it feels like you found yourself and you're willing to be that self no matter what's going on and no matter what anyone says. And I think, you know, that's a very inspiring thing to watch. Going back to Loved Up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone that doesn't know, it was a BBC film. It was about the rave scene and Lena's character was having some problems at home. <laughs> and it was, was it around the same time as Human Traffic came out? Yeah, it was. That's what I'm talking about. That sort of wave of British film that we made that was just, just great fun and free and, you know, spoke about what was happening. It was so cool. And there's this scene in it where... The Royal Mail. So you've been out raving and you've been taking some ecstasy. Your character has, obviously. And um, although there were quite a lot of rumours about those films <laughs> that never completely got answered about, <laughs> about the method. There's this fantastic scene and it. it's still one of my favourite scenes where the Royal Mail van is delivering posts to people at like five in the morning. You and your like gang of ravers are quite jolly on your way home and the mail bag <laughs> falls out of the back of the mail van and you decide to deliver <laughs> yeah I totally remember and Rick Warden who was in the film who's brilliant in it he's very funny Rick and uh yeah I always remember him doing his like <laughs> delivering the whatever the bill to somebody or what you know and the guy going oh god thanks because it was so jolly but there's one, I think, think there's only about three or four you deliver, but one is that, that, that you wind someone up, like it's a job offer and you go, oh no, sorry you didn't. And then you've got it. And just this person's look. And I was thinking that everybody's post should be delivered like that all the time. I was going to say, yeah, maybe there's a 
campaign for that. <laughs> in in the pandemic, there was a real problem in the UK with Post where it wasn't it wasn't getting out. Basically, people weren't getting it. So I talked about that scene. I don't think I mentioned ecstasy. I think I might have just said you were really happy, but. <laughs> But the BBC <laughs> cut it out. My, I was on a talk radio show and I was saying that, you know, perhaps if <laughs> I, I made what I thought was a very good suggestion, which was that perhaps if, if, if the Royal Mail were struggling, perhaps they could enlist the help of ravers to deliver the post. And I described the scene, which I love, and, um, and, and they, then they cut it out because they thought that it was, you know, it should be censored. And I just, you know, you've already touched on it about that period of time when it was free and I... And I know that you're very vocal and very political, but I just, I wondered really how, where do you stand on what's going on with the silencing and the censorship at the moment? So within within film and television, do you think we've lost our edge and our rawness? And then also on social media, what's your feelings around the silencing that's going on? Oh, I mean, that is such a really tricky... See, here's the thing. It's like that sort of self monitoring as well because you you feel you know I do that thing where I'm about to post something and I'm like fuck I'm gonna offend somebody because now everything offends somebody (laughs) but in terms of creating art and entertainment for people I mean it it shouldn't be I mean trying to get things up and running and made is trickier than it's ever been because I think what people are willing to jump into is getting smaller because we're getting so many sort of like the right thing to do. And it's, it's really, it's just, yeah. I mean, it does kind of make everything a little bit tighter and you're like, how do we make this uh, digestible for everyone when actually, you know, we still got the rebels doing what they want and making weird and wonderful stuff, which thank God. I think it'll go back. You know what I mean? I think it'll, it's a beautiful thing because it's, you know, I'm raising kids and there's that awareness and, and conversation that it's opened up, which is brilliant. But also I guess it's generational too. You know what I mean? You know, I look at my dad's kind of nonsense that he says sometimes and I'm like, Oh my good God. Uh, and then our moment where it was kind of like, I feel like we grew up in the, in the great moment where everything was just mashed and you took your own path and you were like, I decide what's wrong or right. I decide, I choose. And it feels a little bit like a bowling alley. Mm. Mm. Do you feel that the need for inclusivity in television and film at the moment is, I mean, I'm, I'm in support of it. And I know you would be too, because we want everyone to have an opportunity and we want all human beings to be able to have identification on screen. That is the right thing to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. But is it blocking our ability to make great stories? I don't think so. I I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's only a great thing. I think we've got to find where it all lays comfortably. You know what I mean? Cause it's a new thing. Mm. Suddenly everyone's waking up and going, Oh my God, we should have more people that represent more and more people. Mm. And that of course is always the way Mm. these things should be expansive and inclusive. But yeah, I think it's just an adjustment. And I think it feels like that to some people. It doesn't to me. I genuinely am like, it's fucking great. We're going to tell these stories and get excited about, you know, things that will be new, but really shouldn't be new. Mm. 
you know, like everyone talks about, obviously, if you don't see somebody doing the thing you want to do, you think it's impossible for you to stand in that place. So I think it's a wonderfully powerful thing. Mm. Do you think that the silencing culture, I've heard you, that you're also second guessing yourself about posting things. I I took something down for the first time last week. It was about um, the Lancet's cover that said, bodies with vaginas have been not looked after for the whole life. And I suggested that it should be women. And I got a lot of backlash and I took it down because I don't want to hurt people actually, you know, but then when the Lancet apologized. What was their backlash? I was called probably by about 300 people on the feed when I woke up the next day that I was a turf, which I had to Google and and I didn't know what mm-hmm. it meant. What is that? <laughs> and I tried to engage and say, I don't believe I am trans exclusionary, but with all the work that I've done in the female space around female health, I've just written a book on it. I've looked in detail at the history of women's health and how women's bodies, and that doesn't mean that other people's bodies haven't also been badly treated, but my, that's, that's my, you know, my mum died of ovarian cancer. That's my work. That's my life work. That's why I do this work Mm -hmm. to adjust that. And I said, and I think that I can, I can say that without being exclusionary and they weren't having it. But I don't want to hurt people either, Lena. Like there is a bit of me that as a sensitive and as an empath that... But this is the other thing I like social media. So you you make a post and then everyone makes a judgment and there's no place to sit and have a conversation with a person who feels a certain way and yourself. You know, I think that's, that's the thing is like you do something you want to engage because you're like, no, 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 listen to my point of view. And then you want to, then you want to get into it because you, like you say, you don't want anyone to feel targeted or left out or whatever it is, whatever someone's feeling. But it's a really tricky thing because there's no recourse after that. You're just, it's like, it's just done. When I think, you know, it's kind of, that's a really sad part of posting things. Hmm. I mean, I suppose also the people that are strong-minded about a topic to attack are also very difficult to have a conversation with, even, I mean, I'm not talking about in real life, you're talking about a humanitarian kind of like actually real human beings connecting, even online. I think when the people that I would suggest that the people, the individuals and the packs that are being quite so strong in their activism and so clear mm-hmm. that they really have such a strong line you're not going to be able to get them to have a conversation with you about it you know it's like they're already they've made the decision that's what I'm saying yeah that's what I mean it's like you go out and you're like here's this thing because I truly it says something to me and then it can destroy someone in a second and then you feel understandably responsible and you're like no 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 let's have a conversation but there's no room to have a conversation and then it's just a loss because as you say people are people are convicted mm-hmm. I mean I really I'm very grateful for how political you are you know there's this fantastic you know Tony Morrison quote that, that if you have a platform if you have power then your job is to help other people and I feel that with your platform outside of your your work in the arts, because really social media, while it's creative, it's not it's not the same as the work that you've done, this kind of body of work that you've got as, as an actor and, and now producer. But I think it's so important. And I really do think it's brave. Do you think that it's harder for a woman 
to be that vocal about political subjects? Hmm. (laughs) I don't think it's harder. I think it makes you, you know, I mean, here's the thing, and you know it, and it's like you make a post about feminism, you make a post about queer love, the amount of boys that go, right, well, I'm I'm following you. You know, it's like, okay, I'm really sad about that. So bye. (laughs) (laughs) So I think in that space, yes, if you're a woman and you're like, here are the things that matter. Here are the things I give a shit about. This is important. There are certain groups of people that get really offended by that. Do I care about those certain groups? Not deeply, no. We're going to take a very quick ad break. And before we do, I wanted to let you know that this podcast was produced in association with Albright, the leading career network for women. Got a mission, a five-year plan, or an outrageous dream? Albright will have your back. They had mine. Visit www.albrightcollective.com to join their free community today or download the Albright app available in the App Store. Albright, a global sisterhood for ambitious women. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You have had an amazing career and I think that your role in Game of Thrones was really transforming for women over 40 and has helped the industry enormously. I mean, obviously it's changed since we were young, Lena. Women are working later, but is it enough? Not yet. It's not, not yet. Me and my friend were talking about Gillian Anderson yesterday, who's like having the best, most glorious sort of moment, you know what I mean? In X-Files, she was this kind of stereotype, right? She was this cold, unavailable... Hottie. ...woman who was kind of the male fantasy that women shouldn't have feelings. They should just be ice queens and really cool all the time. And and that, and now she's like making YouTube videos where she's masturbating cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously to be pregnant in her 50s in sorry just to be super clear yeah in sex education not in real life no it's amazing I'm loving everything she's doing and the sort of diversity of roles she's getting you know she's playing Margaret Thatcher who god bless was not the most attractive woman in the world and then she gets to play you know this kind of like you say on sex education this sort of liberated beautiful sexy woman in her 50s and yeah, there's an incredible thing that happens as you get older. 
which is exactly that. You just give so less of a shit about anything. But she's also fought for stuff. So I think really one of the moments, and I and I would put you in this camp too, of being a real fighter. From the bits I've known about you through the years, Lena, I do think you're you have a, a very right-sized, focused ambition that you deserve a seat at the table. When I was in Game of Thrones, I, I started that at age, it was 10 years of my life. I was like 37 or something. And I guess, you know, even, t- you know, 10 years, it's like you step into your power kind of at this point. And mm. there is a really long way to go still of embracing and seeing women after a certain point of being relevant. And But you have to push. That doesn't ever... I think people think you get to a point and then you sort of just cruise and it's like everything just falls in your lap. And that's so, so untrue, far from the truth. It is a never ending, like you've got to keep shifting and uh, evolving and pushing on doors till they open. Mm. Well, the road gets narrower. Yeah, totally. Actually, it gets wider for us as in our hearts and as women, like in our individual lives, we're widening. (laughs) physically as well uh, <laughs> but, exploding but, like, <laughs> but the the work and the and the the creativity to a certain extent and the standard and the level of work that you want to do you know you you set higher standards for yourself how do you balance being ambitious and dedicated and having an element of like humility or surrender and what what's your practice around that how do you let go if something doesn't work out also, Mike, just let me say, but I was just thinking about that too, about this kind of thing as we're getting older and the opportunity and this uh, change. And it's also like, if you watch that brilliant show with Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lang when they played Feud, Bette Davis and Joan Crawford, do you remember that? Oh, yes. And it was like all these men plotted these two women. You know, they would have had the greatest sisterhood and held each other up. And they didn't, they were destroyed by men. And I was thinking our conversation and our sort of collective feminism is, is greater than it's ever been. And I think that's what's changing things is women are feeling less in competition with each other and more like, let's fucking make this work. You know, so you've got a female producer, female writer, female director, and they want to get a great female lead for their movie. So this, this is what's changing, which is the beauty is women are getting the creative power, that's making a massive difference, which I love. That's so interesting. That's absolutely right. That the, the competition between women is eroding away, isn't it? That that ingrained social conditioning. Well, it's just it's been exposed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this is what's happened. Now this is your path and your freedom. Yeah. Is like you've you've got to band up because you're so powerful. Yeah. She's not your competition. She's proof that it can be done. Yeah. Thank God the industry's changed for young women coming through. But I remember when I first started working and actually people in the industry were in so much pain. If you were a young woman, people could be quite spiteful. Like I try as much as I can now to any young woman, no matter what industry they work in, to be kind. When I first left university and then drama school, literally everyone saw me as a threat. Yeah. Everybody. You know, it's like there's not, it was basically a feeling of there's not enough to go round. Well, also, yes, that. And also, you know, as we're talking about women now getting older in our 
this moment that we're living in, we're getting more opportunity. We're being seen for, you know, the magic that we have instead of being shelved. And when we were growing up, there wasn't that discussion. So the women of our age with the women of the young women we're talking about, I felt that too. It's like, I felt like I was a threat, even though I was so unsure of everything about myself. I still felt like, oh my God, she's just dismissed me because, and only now I'm like, because I was young and youthful. And they were like, she's terrifying. And that's beautiful. Like you're saying, you know, now I like I, any young actor, writer, whoever I meet, I'm like, fuck, I want to um, help them and protect them. But the thing is, is that the women, when I was young, we're blessed now with such a high level of understanding of our own mental health, if we choose to go there, that we can understand and we can unpick mm-hmm. where our feelings are coming from, Where which, which I don't think generationally when we were young, they had they were still kind of the war babies and they were still actually yeah. had very critical parents. And, and, you know, we're the ones that got to deliver the post and from the back of the post van, <laughs> high on it. On ecstasy or not. <laughs> maybe on ecstasy, maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? Check your postman's pupils. That's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Honestly, it's still one of my favorite scenes ever. (laughs) It made me so happy. But it also gave me identification. I was part of the counterculture. You know, I was a working class girl who didn't know where I fitted in. And and I was raving at the time. And seeing that film made me felt like I belonged, you know, and it it was important. It was really important. And you were like, and I can work for the Royal (laughs) Mail, so I know where I'm going. Maybe I'll get to work with Lena. And here we are. (laughs) So do you think Game of Thrones was like a leading bastion in terms of putting women in television, older women? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it changed. It was interesting. There was, um, I saw an interview because they're doing a new Game of Thrones now and there's a few young actresses in it. And I saw an interview with one of the actresses and she said, you know, you look at Game of Thrones and it was so anti-feminist and, and, and graphic and, old school and I was like whoa (laughs) slow down sister (laughs) slow down and there were moments in it like you know it's as we said before like everything is an evolution and you can only learn by doing right so there were moments in that that I think were incredibly in the show that were incredibly um boundary pushing and, and and shape changing and there were also some really old school moments but I think it you know it it was the show was about brutality and women surviving. Mm. It was a fantasy at the end of the day. And there were zombies that ate babies. So it was yeah. a fantasy. It's interesting that they're saying that. I, I do remember towards the end of Game of Thrones, a few actresses were starting to say that they didn't want to audition for it because mm-hmm. of the gratuitous skin. You know, it was of its time and it grew one of the topics that I find most interesting at the moment is about objectification. And, you know, when Dita Von Teese came on the podcast, she said, and of course she would say this because it's how she makes her money is being objectified. But I liked it. She said, you know, that she felt that the last hurdle for women will be that women will be allowed to say without being shamed that I like to be objectified. And I hadn't really heard anyone talk about that. And I And I think it's a little bit like, it's a really interesting debate. And I think it's 
on par with cunt (laughs) and like whether or not we should use cunt because it's reclaiming or whether or not we should not use it because it's a description of a female genitalia and it's deeply insulting to women. Mm. And I think objectification sits in that same very complicated space. I'm very clear on my uh, cunt opinion. Are you? Share. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the, like, it's our word. I use it quite often. Sometimes, you know, when you realize you're in different company, you're like, oh, that I just offended somebody. I could see their eyes slightly uh, frazzle. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I dig it as a word. Do you think you use it to shock? I think I only use it when I really want to shock someone. I don't think I do. Do you use it willy-nilly? I use it a bit willy-nilly. You just use it willy-nilly like fuck. I would. I think I use fuck more. I think fuck's a better word. Fuck's a great word. But my friend gave me a necklace that said cunt on it. And it was a celebratory term for her and her girlfriend and her people. And I was like, I, I, I take that as an honour. But the objectification thing, I just think that's so personal, isn't it? I don't think everything has to be this blanket like this is right, this is wrong. It's so, so personal. And also you can change, go in and out of that your whole life. And when things are done beautifully, it's like incredible to be part of something Mm. like that. You know Mm. what I mean? But I mean, that's what I'm, that's what we were saying earlier about like, you can dissect everything down to the thing where it just becomes a piece of ash Mm. and you're like, well, that's gone. Um, Mm. how about some cheese? I know that like, for me, I've definitely, I actually was chatting to a young woman on last season and she went, I don't know about you, Mika, but I've kind of grown into my activist and my feminist. And I, <laughs> do you feel that you've changed? Like, has your, has what you feel is acceptable as an actress in terms of sex on, on screen changed? Or do you sort of feel like you got quite a lot of stuff out of the way? I mean, I feel it's changed in that, you know, when I was younger and I started at 17, I, didn't have a voice or an understanding that I could say no to certain things or, you know, say that's too much and discuss another option. I would just sort of be like, okay. And that wasn't because anyone was holding me ransom, but I didn't know that I had a choice. Mm. So the great thing now is so many young actors and actresses know that there's a choice and there's a really big Mm. noise to be made if you need some backup. And that's fucking great I just I just did a film at the end of last year and I strip in it and part of me was like you know what when I'm lying on my deathbed I'm just gonna think I worked really fucking hard to look all right and uh no one made me do it no one twisted my arm it was in the story it was part of the story and I was like yeah fuck it I'm just gonna embrace it and and do the work to make me feel good and then own it are you playing a stripper or is it just a scene where you strip no, she's a, she's a, it's like her last dance kind of thing. Yeah, it was terrifying. And um, I, I was surrounded by amazing burlesque women who are yeah. fucking brilliant yeah. and love women and just big up women. So I, I had them, you know, kind of walk me to set and I, they'd done me up. That part was amazing. I think by the end I was kind of like, oh yeah, it's all right, but obviously the beginning I was like what the fuck am I doing it's like 6 <laughs> 30 I'm really tired uh, I've got two children what what is going on but ultimately 
it's there. It's done now. It's committed. So that's that. <gasps> What's the name of the film? Uh, I think it's going to be called Nine Bullets. Okay, great. We're going to definitely yeah. be looking out for that. What do you think needs to change about sex on screen? So one of the huge hits of last year was Normal People. I don't know if you watched it. Yeah. I watched a little bit of it and I just couldn't because they they had this sort of like teenage sex where <laughs> she came like really easily. And I, I just, you know, I do know there are some women who can, who do experience climax like that but I would yeah. definitely say they're in the minority and so I stopped watching it because I just thought this isn't really a great representation for young women to be seeing this do you have any feelings around how women are represented on screen in terms of sex because really we've had kind of like yes penis in hole sex maybe a tiny bit of foreplay and apps and, and you know a, a woman coming to climax very quickly Yes, it's barely any foreplay, is it? It's just like suddenly she is mounted and she is orgasming in like two minutes. So as you just said, quite a rarity in real life. I was starting to have this conversation with my son, not about that moment in particular, but I was like, we really need to talk about what it truly really is in the real world and exactly that reason I don't want him learning a from a kind of 15 year old older brother who doesn't know what he's talking about or from watching something that is completely mm. out of the realm of any reality because I think our, our boys go out into the world and they're like nothing's expected of me well also not only that, but I think men aren't, young boys aren't given an opportunity to tune into their energetics, you know, not just sexual power, but power is the masculine energy is, is so, so powerful. And I think if young men were taught at a much earlier age, how to connect to that and be present with it rather than just seeing this kind of destination of needing to woo a woman and then you know, not speaking about your son, but just in general, that kind of like hunt, the hunt. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive conversation. Yeah. The thing about adding into film more foreplay, it's 20 to 40 minutes for on average for a woman to get fully aroused in order to, if that's what they're trying to do, have a climax if they can. Yeah. You know, obviously we can't add 20 to 40 minutes in every film. I mean, you could. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a standalone episode. But what does it really mean for women then to be exposed in that way? Like, does it mean that to a certain extent, women become more objectified? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, it's such such a... you know, maybe that's yet to be be made as some groundbreaking celebratory piece that doesn't do that you know what I mean Mm. well blue is the color did it you know the film about the two yes but that was about a lesbian love affair so I think it was different I'm kind of on the fence a bit like I I know it needs to happen I what I do know is that I think realistic climax for both parties because I think both men and women are being unjustly represented in film and television so when sex is necessary for a tv and film I think that human beings deserve to have a more 
intimate and, and realistic representation of what it is, because I think that men are being taught that it's just this kind of like wham, bam sort of thing. That's just really easy, as you say, and women are being taught through movies and television that they should be something they're not as well. I mean, sex is fascinating. Do you know what I mean? And if I, did you see that chick on TikTok who, I can't remember if she was taken down or something because she was talking about, I can't remember if she was like, you, why you should have sex before you date someone yes. 35 times. And she was like, we went on 30 dates. He was great. He was, I was like, do you have any kinks? And he was like, uh, no, I just, I just like to talk dirty. And she was like, cool, that's good. I like it. And she said that they were fucking and he started saying, yeah, you want my baby, huh? You want me to make you pregnant so everyone knows you're mine? And it was real. And she was like, uh, what? And he was like, talk back to me. And she was like, what do you want me to say? Uh, are you going to be, are you going to be happy being a single dad? Are you going to pay for my abortion? <laughs> like, is that, like, in the, they were, and also there's been that sort of report about boys going out and having sex and just, and so I don't know what the answer is. I mean, we just have to talk to our boys and girls openly and honestly and with no mm, kind of squirm. Yeah, because it's like, it's got to be a gorgeous thing. Yeah, it's changing anyway. It's so exciting that we can even have this conversation. I mean, it's a miracle that I can have a podcast called The Happy Vagina and talk about sex with those women I love. <laughs> I know. I told my kids that this morning. I was like, I'm going on a podcast called that. And they were both like... <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> it was very sweet. I know that you are now producing and you are you founded your own production company to people to have some some creative control and and to to really use all of your skills. You've put yourself in a position where you can make change. What's your feeling behind people? What are you trying to do with it for the future of of women in film or in general humans? Yeah, no. I you know, I, I made a film like two, three years ago now, which I was the best experience I've had in my life of working. And then I thought it's going to be really easy to just cruise and make the feature. And it, it still hasn't happened, although I'm clinging on to it happening. Don't give up. Don't, don't ever give up. I know, but it's hard. I know. Uh, especially little, little budgets are really tricky, but anyway, I digress. We, so I, I did a, pilot that didn't happen but I met this amazing woman who runs a company called Boat Rock and she was like come and have we'll give you a production deal and I was like that's fucking amazing and yes and okay so I'm still kind of pinching myself that I get to sit on phone calls with such great people and discuss projects that I fucking get so excited about and so do they and I said you know my my kind of who I am as a filmmaker and as an audience and a consumer is, is very diverse. And that's what I'd like to do. I don't really have a, a lane, I guess. Mm. And Nikita, who I've been following for years, and I think she's just extraordinary. And then mm. I read her book and I was like, oh my God, imagine we get to make this. This would be magic on so many levels. And so we kind of, we uh, chased her <laughs> and now we're going to do it together, which is so exciting. So tell us a bit about that project. Um, yeah, The Girl and the Goddess, it's written by Nikita, who's incredible. And it's kind of her story of, of growing up and religion and partition and discovering her sexuality and moving through this very complicated 
spiritually enhanced life and it's so rich and so beautiful and something that we don't see and it's it's, I don't know it's so deep and so vast that to to get to kind of spread it out over a, a number of episodes and really get into all the parts of it is just you know so it's going to be a series not a film it's gonna be a series yeah and is Nikita writing it she's she's not I don't think she's gonna write it we're looking for a writer currently preferably you know a queer Indian voice is what we're after so we've got a few people that we're reading at the moment and then uh, Nikita is going to be part of it the whole way which is yeah important to both her and I so yeah it's going to be really exciting and are you looking at directing I mean I'd love to you directed the short that you're trying to make into a feature, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my very happy place. Yeah. Yes, of course. If there's opportunity and if it's right for the project, yeah, right. I yeah, mean, yeah, I think yeah. that's the thing. Which I think it is. If it's right for the project. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's go again. Are you going to direct it? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Maybe yes. one or two. Maybe one or two. That's a long ways down the road. Yeah, but I think it's okay. It's so interesting. You know, I mean, I do understand that it's an early development project. So there's an element of you not Mm. wanting to be too bold, perhaps in what you're saying. But I also, you know, it's okay to say yes. I mean, when I directed my first short, I'd offered a small part in it to Tara Fitzgerald. And I I rang her and said, would she do it? And she said, "Um, who's directing it? And I said, I've asked Danny Houston she just fell over laughing and she was like no you're directing it and I was like oh okay you know and it was wild and I had no idea what I was doing and and it was great and it's done fine you know it's a really nice little film that's done all right but I think that as women yeah you know Lena we we, it's okay to to really deeply want these things and I I'm trying as much as I can not to sit in the male female men don't women don't but I don't think men hesitate in terms of putting themselves in pole position in the same way that we do. Not all men. Not all men. Not all men. No. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I just know the reality of getting these things to birth, you know? So it's like slowly, slowly invest in every moment and um, push. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I, I'm attaching you to it as part of the package that is non-negotiable. I've just <laughs> okay. done that for you. Let me know who I need to speak to. <laughs> okay, non-negotiable. Lena is non-negotiable. Deal. Just went through. Tell me what's coming up for you, Lena. It's been so nice talking to you. What have you got coming up that we can see? Oh, it's been lovely. I just finished an HBO series, which I think will be out kind of April May next year, which is about Watergate. It's a very funny piece written by the people that did veep so the hbo is out next next year about watergate interesting interesting who do you play i play dorothy hunt who was howard hunt's wife mother of his four children and also a cia octave it's bonkers the story is the true story is totally bonkers and brilliant and it's justin Theroux and woody harrelson who are both fucking brilliant wow i'm really looking forward to that anything else just, you know, lots of little bubbling, bubbling projects that we are. But what were you filming in Berlin? 
a film called Gunpowder Milkshake that was on Netflix. Oh, yes. People should go and watch that. It's yeah. great. It's really fun. <laughs> Listen, I had a ball because it was all chicks. Yes, we it's were fantastic. Like, this, this never happens. Well, it's been out for ages. It's like, it's Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, Carla Duggino. Six months. Six months. Karen Gillan. But people should go and watch that. It's brilliant. You can sit at home and watch it, people. Lena, last question. What makes your vagina happy today? Oh, uh, a very good man from Texas. Uh, I'm so pleased that you're happy. Thank you for your time today. It's been really inspiring chatting to you. Thanks. I'm Mika Simmons. That was Lena Heady, and you're listening to the Half Vagina podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 